This is Transistor.fm. Product people would not be possible without the fine folks at Sprintly, www.sprint.ly. Go and check them out and sign up for a free account for you and your team. If you're doing software development, there's no better way to manage the software development process. We're getting into part two with Mr. Spencer Fry, where he talks to us about his new startup called Uncover. Beauty. Spencer, do you want to keep going? Uh, yeah. Do another 30? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so Spencer, uh, what it, with Uncover, the, the company, the, sorry, I'm going to start again. So Spencer, with Uncover, the, the idea is that you're providing uh, companies the ability to give perks to their employees. What yeah. as, what's... as well as rewards too, um, which I failed to mention last week, but you can basically reward your employees for staying late or spending the weekend at work or saying the sales team hits a big milestone. You can kind of send them a one-time reward. Oh, interesting. And, and that was it, actually it, a feature we launched about a month after um, launching for the, you know, I guess the first time. Are these eventually going to be things that you can set up? Like you could, you could put up a, a, a kind of a challenge or a goal and then have people achieve it and then automatically receive an award or is it done manually right now? It's done manually, manually right now. Um, I, I guess the answer is, I don't know yet <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because we're, we're so, we're so, uh, we're so early. You know, yeah. We're getting a lot of like user feedback and suggestions for features and so on, but we're trying to go slow um, and kind of get a broader sense of, or larger sense of kind of what's going on. Yeah. So which is, I think, is something you know I actually just wrote about the other day, which I think companies are too quick to iterate a lot of times, especially like companies that raise you know like a million dollars in financing. They they think they need to spend all the money you know on day one. And it actually ends up biting them in the ass. So, what what do you mean too quick to iterate? So, um, I guess two things on that. You know, iterative development is like the hottest topic right now in the last few years on the web. And it's like, you know, if you don't iterate quickly, you know, add this feature, add that feature, polish this, clean up that code, then you're gonna, you know, miss an opportunity. Um, but a lot of these companies that get into this kind of iterative development cycle, you know, they look up six months later and they figure figure that they've or they see that they've basically not built anything new, you know? Um, products kind of need to have large release cycles every once in a while. Like I'm all for iterative development and I think you should do it, um, you know, two, three months at a time, but you have to look at the broader picture and, you know, kind of make more impactful choices with your product. And one of your points in this post, we're, we're discussing this post, uh, the pros and cons of iterative development on SpencerFry.com. One of the ideas you had there is that sometimes you need to set aside big chunks of time for kind of big, bigger things, bigger projects, yeah. bigger wins. Um, and can you give us an example of that? Like what would be an example of like an iter- iterative kind of development versus, uh, you know, a bigger win? Well, I think like, um, you know, for us right now, we're kind of in the iterative development stage, but we're working um, on a larger update to the product that will be kind of more game changing in a sense, you know, Um, 
I guess I would define it as something that you know users are going to log in and be like, "Whoa, this is new," you know, and kind of it almost redefines your product because I think a lot of companies, you know, they they release their their app and you know they're just going along, going along, but they never actually really hit on a product market fit, and because they're too busy doing these little iterative changes and not doing more experimenting. So that's something that we're beginning to start now um, after about two and a half months of launching is to start working on the bigger things because you know we're new we're doing well but we're not you know we're not hitting it out of the ballpark yet right um, and a lot of that has to do with the product is just not right yet and I don't think that a thousand little changes will get us there I think that we need to take bigger bets and build kind of more changing things. Gotcha. So that that's part of the idea is you guys, you want to increase growth, you want to earn more revenue, and you think the path to doing that is to sometimes take, you know, some time away from just the everyday grind yeah. to try something big. Yeah, it's so easy to stay in that iterative grind where it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, today I'll focus on building this little thing, or tomorrow I'll focus on refactoring this code. And you know, it's so easy because you're getting all these little like wins, and, and they feel really great. But it's much harder to step outside of that. You know, spend two, three weeks figuring out, you know, what's the next major shift of the product, like the version two or the version 1.5 or whatever. You know, spending two, three weeks product planning that, spending a couple weeks mocking it up couple weeks designing it and then you know a month coding it and then releasing it and figuring out you know the release schedule and the marketing around that and everything like that's just much harder to do mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of startups kind of waste their first six months to a year um, on these little iterative changes that don't really have big impacts yeah and the other thought I had while you're talking about that is sometimes that big bet isn't has nothing to do with the product itself. It has to do with uh, marketing and and uh, kind of playing with the marketing. And the example is I knew of this app that had uh, kind of a low-priced consumer, prosumer product, $19 a month. Um, and, you know, things weren't really going very well. And, you know, they were thinking, well, maybe we should just, you know, do something else or... <laughs> And then one day they thought, well, what happened if we raised the price and went after a different market? Yeah. And it was essentially the same product, but they raised the price to $100 a month and went after a different market. And all of a sudden, that was kind of the sweet spot. And um, then they were able to start iterating on the product for that market. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. You know, sometimes you can kind of throw in the towel. But how do, how do you know when you should throw in the towel then? <laughs> Like when, oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think when do you know if you should give it of just like you know a major iteration of the product? So that's just like a completely different thing, right? Different market, different price point. Um, so yeah, I think that's great. But you know, throwing the towel is something that I don't like doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, and that's one of the reasons why I choose the bootstrap because I feel like if I did have investors and I did raise a million dollars, um, you know, pre. Uh, product market fit, then you basically have to throw in the towel a lot sooner because you you know you raise for 12 to 18 months, and if the product's not going how it is, how how it should go, then you kind of have to give up. But um, the nice thing about bootstrapping is like with enough TLC and enough time, you can kind of tend to 
overcome challenges, the challenges of like user growth. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can sort of figure it out eventually um, if you stick with it. So yeah, I don't really like giving, you know, throwing in the towel personally. Well, and have you had some projects that you started that you've decided to not continue? Um, I, I have had some small things. I think so. Uncover actually, it's interesting because the Uncover from 2012 was we kind of we sold it, but for like a couple thousand dollars. It was kind of like a thing we were planning on shutting down, and a buddy was like, "I'll take it." Um, but we had started as like a hiring app because both Mike, my co-founder, and I wanted to do something in the HR space, and we wanted to focus around kind of the employees. And while I was learning to code in 2012. Um, I learned to code while building like a higher tracking software. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we kind of, by the end of 2012, I think we had a few dozen customers, but uh, ultimately I was way more um, enthusiastic about current employees rather than employees that were, or people that were applying to be an employee. So um, that was something that I ended up shutting down. Hmm. And I think it was more, it was more because it wasn't. I wasn't passionate about it, and it was more of like a learning exercise to learn to code rather than kind of like um, what I saw was a business opportunity. Yeah. Now, now one criticism of the HR space is that it's difficult to sell it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so what? Uh, first of all, why were you willing to take that challenge on uh, of working in the HR space? Um, you know, and as an example, I, I built a MVP of applicant tracking software. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and and I because I'm I think when you've worked with people and processes and you've hired people, um, you can see that there's all sorts of holes in the system and that there's, uh, you know, that software could really help those things. Um, but when I took it around to business owners, kind of what I realized is a lot of especially small business businesses, uh, they don't think about hiring until they need to hire. And then they don't really want software. They just kind of have this like, just, you know, put out an ad and put out and just kind of, it, there's not, they, they almost don't want a process because yeah. that's just not especially their... those smaller companies. Like, you know, I did a lot of market research at the time and like customer development and all that. And the smaller companies, they also tend to get very bad um, applicants through their job stages. You know where they get their good and best applicants are from referrals from current employees. You mm -hmm. know? So it's like it's almost like they're getting zero success from this application tracking thing that they're paying for. So it's yeah. So why were you willing, like knowing that and then having done some of that research, what what made you feel like? And there's, I mean, and to be fair, there's also there's been some other startups in the reward space. Uh, that have tried to kick this can too. Given that everything that you've learned, what, why did you decide to stay in the space and and now move into rewards? Like, what made you feel like that was that was a that was a you know a place you could win? So I think a couple of different things. Like, um, for one thing, the hiring app that I was building earlier was while there were some unique features to it, it was basically the same old thing. And you know every company had either had one or they knew what they knew what it was. And it was just very difficult to sell it because it was either replacing something or it was selling it to someone who didn't make the purchasing decision because they didn't want the thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very frustrating. But with you know Uncover today, which is you know personal rewards, a lot of companies just don't have it, and 
you know, if they do have it, something, they have something really terrible, like the coupon book, which is just basically like not having it at all. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do, so short term, what we're doing right now is, you know, here, here's an awesome system for you to set up perks and rewards. But long term, what we want to do is help educate companies around happiness and employee satisfaction and wellness and all that kind of stuff. But in a much different way that's, than it's currently done because it's either not done or it is done poorly. So it's, and it's something way more unique that we're building. Yeah. Now, I understand the perks part about it. So $5 per employee and, you know, people buy these things uh, online with your platform and they're delivered to the employee. How, how do you plan on making money through the education part that you're thinking about long term? So that's something we're kind of, you know, as we spoke about before, like the bigger iterative cycles or the non-iterative cycles, but the bigger cycles. Um, that's something that we, we're currently working on right now. So we, we've actually been thinking about this portion of it for like the last nine months to a year, but we kind of led with the perk stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, just see if we could make money and so forth. Um, then when we were successful with that, we decided to kind of look more at the broader picture. So what we're trying to build now is, um, you know, one of the common complaints that we see from people that during the sales process is like, how do I know that this is actually going to increase, you know, happiness and make my employees, you know, better at their job. And so like we looked at that seriously and we said, you know, how can we figure out an ROI for you? Like if you use Uncover, your, you know, employees will be 10% happier and 15% more productive. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're kind of looking to measure now going forward. So if we can figure out those things for you, then how can we help address them without giving away too much? (laughs) Yeah, no, that is really interesting. It's something I've thought about quite a bit Um, because I think one thing that's happened in the software world, uh, specifically in development, is that uh, what happened in software development used to be a black box. Uh, You never really knew what developers were working on or how they were working or but now we have a lot more transparency into that system. We, we know when uh, we can look at GitHub, we can look at commits, we can look at, you know, a lot of project management software is, is uh, tracking what people are working on and, you know, w- what they might be stuck on, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the rest of the world and the rest of kind of corporate culture is not really in that. You, you don't know if someone, um, an employee is sad and isn't working yeah. very much. Uh, yeah, so I think like, it's, it's really interesting because there's a lot of process-based software that's been built over the last five years around kind of people's jobs. So like time tracking and, you know, invoicing and project management and like developer tools and designer tools and like all this stuff. But none of it's actually taken the time to look at how the employees actually feeling and how, you know, their work's going and like all that. So no one's actually looked at the human side of things. You know, the software has been, really about process and what we're really interested in is kind of the other side of thing like the actual human element to it yeah now i understand this idea and i actually i get really excited about it like because i think it it, (laughs) kind of anecdotally you know that if you've got a lot of cognitive load on yourself as an employee or a lot of stress you know that you're not as productive like you kind of know that for yourself is there some stats around that are, are, are kind of saying that this is true? 
like this is actually a global truth that um, the way employees feel impacts a company's bottom line. Yeah, and it's really interesting because Google is actually one of the first big companies to spend a hell of a lot of money kind of investigating this. Um, so I read an article, you know, maybe six months or a year ago that really inspired me, which was that um, at Google they had they have basically a team that's dedicated to looking at the data of their employees and trying to figure out ways that they can basically make them either more productive or happier and both. And one thing they looked at was that maternity leaves were kind of a standard three months. But what they found was that it wasn't long enough for a lot of the women that worked there and that they would quit um, after the three months. It would cost Google a lot to basically do the recruiting to fill those positions. Mm-hmm. So they were able to figure out that if they actually increased the maternity leave to nine months, basically no one would quit and it would save them a lot of money because they wouldn't have to spend that money on recruiting new people. Interesting. So it's like, it's really, really interesting stuff that's going on right now. And I think a lot of it's on the data side and a lot of it's also just like caring more, you know? Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it's on the data side. So it's, it's really interesting. Now, and, and, sorry, keep going. Say, one of the other kind of uh, interesting things like that I heard about, heard about nine months ago was a friend of mine at their company, they asked all their employees, um, you know, kind of a series of questions about the company. And one of the questions they asked was, are you planning on leaving in sometime in the next three months? And I thought that that was just such a powerful question because, you know, 10% or 20% of the company replies yes, and this was anonymous. Mm-hmm. 10% or 20% of the company replies less. Yes, then you know that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that, you know, your company is being built and growing. So, like, these kind of questions that just people haven't asked before and are scared to ask, they're so helpful and so impactful. So Yeah. Again, I like I love this idea. I think the idea of um, kind of dealing with the human side of companies is super important. But on the other hand, I also <laughs> this is hard to sell to people because it's it's oh, extremely yeah. proactive. Uh, it takes a really long view. It um, and I think something sometimes changes when you're a manager or an owner, um, and it, you you forget what it's like to be an employee, and yep. you know. How are you? How are you kind of overcoming that challenge of going to companies and saying this is going to solve a pain for you that you actually want to, you know, hire us essentially to do? So I think today, like our product is, you know, it's very difficult to sell because it one, it does cost you more money, but um, also it's a thing that they don't have or they don't think they need, sort of thing. So that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why we're starting to explore this other side of the coin. And if, I think that if we can go to these companies and be like, look, the companies that are currently using Uncover or whatever Uncover is, you know, three months now or six months now, they're seeing this ROI of 10% production in their companies or happiness is going up 15%. If we can take those like hard numbers, it'll just be so much easier to sell because why wouldn't you pay the amount of money that's going to increase, you know, employee whatever. So I think that's the way that we're looking to approach the sales process going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's, we're selling to companies that, you know, are doing pretty well. Like they either have, you know, revenue coming in or profitable, or they're looking to beef up their hiring. So like perks are very important for recruiting and everything like that. So it's less of a sales challenge um, with our current app as I thought it might have been, might be, but it's still, you know, very difficult. 
Yeah. And, and you were saying that right now, this primarily appeal, appeals to the startup space, where it obviously solves a, a huge problem for them, which is attracting great talent. But are, are you thinking about moving to enterprise? Is that part of the, the thinking yeah, here is that there's a, there's a bigger market there? Yeah, I mean, we're talking to companies in the two to 500 person range. It's just the sales process for those companies is just much longer because, you know, you need, not only do you need to kind of convince the HR team, but then they need to convince the CFO and then the CFO needs to have a budget for it and everything. So it's, um, you know, it's, it can be anywhere from three to six months to close a company of that size. So what we're kind of doing is focus more around the 50 to 100 person companies right now, which is easier for us to land. And then um, as the product evolves, and then once we start to kind of build it out more, using that as a kind of leverage into these bigger companies. Because the bigger companies always want to do what the small companies do. They just want to do it, you know, two to five years later. <laughs> how, are you, how are you getting all of these leads? Um, I mean, part of it is just my, you know, I think about a third of the companies are from my personal just network of startup entrepreneurs in New York City. Um, you know, I've been now part of the New York City tech scene for about seven years. So I build up a big, you know, group of friends. Um, and then the rest are kind of word of mouth. And then, you know, we've been, I've been doing a lot of content marketing. So, you know, writing for um, different companies' blogs, um, small business blogs and my own blog and then for Treehouse and a bunch of other places. And, and are you getting good feedback from that? Like, is there, is there actual leads that come out of those, like, specifically yeah, content? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, two, I mean, two-thirds of our leads are from either word of mouth or from our content stuff. Um, we haven't started yet paying for any kind of marketing, so all of it's been um, free on our end. And the main reason for that is that we, we haven't yet figured out who our you know, ideal customer is yet. Um, you know, a lot of startups like day one, like, oh, I'm going to throw, you know, a thousand dollars a week to Google, um, ads or Facebook or whatever, but they don't yet know who they should be targeting. So mm -hmm. we're kind of taking a slower approach where we want to figure out, okay, you're like a, you know, 65 person tech startup and you do X and you have, you've raised this much money and you're in this market, like that's our ideal customer. And then we'll start to pump, you know, advertising dollars into that. Gotcha. So the idea behind this blog post you wrote, sales or die, and I think we'll probably we'll probably end on on this. Um, the the idea it sounds like is that you need to get to revenue as quickly as you can. Is that right? Yeah, I mean that's part of it. I think the biggest thing is just that if you're not doing sales, you're basically you know there's no there's no good user acquisition. Um, other than sales for these young startups, um, especially ones that are trying to charge money. Um, you know, there's user acquisition on the consumer side of apps, but that's tend to be free users and, you know, free users can only get you so far. So for me, I think sales has become really important over the last year as just the internet has become so saturated with, you know, startups that if you don't actually go after your customers, you're never going to get any. So I think that's part of the reason why I wrote that post. Yeah. And, and what's your, what's your kind of tactic for sales? What, what do you do? What's your process? Uh, so I, I, I'm kind of evolving it. Um, I've been evolving, it, I guess, over the last three months. Um, I didn't really have much sales experience before Uncover. I did a lot of marketing 
um, but I never did much sales. So I've talked to some friends of mine who do sales at startups, and the biggest thing is like you basically live and die on your customer potential customer lists. You know, so that's like the most important thing. If you don't have, you know, emails or phone numbers, I don't do the phone thing, but if you don't have emails to, to contact, you're never going to be able to do sales, right? So I think that's the first thing is setting up, establishing that pipeline of, you know, top of the funnel customers. And then it's just a question of having a really good pitch and hopefully getting people interested and then um, over time being able to kind of close the deal. And your list, like, are these mostly people that you know? Is that who's on the list? Uh, so it started that way. It's mostly been, you know, it started first as a round of, you know, people I know. And then it kind of went from people I know to people who are friends of my friends. And then it's beginning to start now, two and a half months later. Um, it, the list is kind of people that I don't know but are in potentially, could potentially be customers. So. And, but are those cold leads? Like they have no idea yeah, who those, you are? Those are, those, are the, those are cold leads, yeah. And where, where are you finding I'm just now starting that <laughs> process? Yeah. And and where are you finding like where do the cold leads come from? You just hear of people that might so, you think might be interested or you're buying a, a list off some shady website? Like where, where does it come from? Well, yeah, so I mean there's there's a combination of that. I think if you talk to anyone who does sales and is any good at it, it's they basically live on LinkedIn. Um, you know, LinkedIn has search if you pay for it, or you can, you know, kind of search by type and size of companies and um, be able to find kind of employees of their company. And then you can kind of go after who is important for you. So for us, it's like we can search for, say, companies that are ad agencies that are 50 to 75 people and, you know, are in your city and are hiring and blah, blah, blah. And then you can kind of go to their web page. You can usually find you know, who the HR manager is, you can then find her name and, and email that person or his or her name and email that person. So that's like one way. Um, and how, you know, how, just, to, are, just to, before yeah. you go on, how do you email that person? What's that email look like? Uh, you know, short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is like, it's definitely a volume game. So it's like, it's, you know, you email 100 people, and you hope to get five responses and then of those five you hope to close like maybe one mm -hmm. um but that's the one great thing about like salesforce and hopefully us or whatever is that the contracts tend to be you know plus thousand dollars a year so if you can kind of land you know a few a week you know you're doing well so you know that's kind of salesforce's motto anyway yeah so you guys are really doing like scary real sales where you're going out and oh, yeah. finding people and um and then cold emailing them and emailing we're 100 starting to, so we're starting to i think for us like a lot of we want to build so part of the reason like we got into this is we wanted to build kind of some consumer software for the enterprise so we want to definitely get in to like hopefully some sort of viral marketing sort of thing um but yeah at the same time you know um, we have to pay the bills, so we have to get people to pay for pay for the app, right? <laughs> and, and sorry, pay for uncover in its current state, five dollars a seat. Yeah, and per yeah. focus. I mean, because you know, again, like we were talking earlier about, like when you throw in the towel. Like if if today we had two customers and you're making, 
you know, 50 bucks a month, like I would have thrown in the towel. But we're doing, thankfully, a lot better than that. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a point. It's like more of a test. It's like, can you get to whatever important value you need? And then if the answer is yes, then can you start to you know go to the next big value? And is the so level the, first one. <laughs> the the level you're at right now? Is that like you guys are paying yourself salary, or is that just keeping no, the lights no. on? Yeah, it's, I mean we're not paying ourselves salary, but it's giving us money where we can you know um, play with you know. We can play with advertising. We can hire, you know, designers. We don't have a designer on the team, so like we can get work done. We can get, um, we can hire, you know, developers if we need. So you know, my partner's a developer and I do code too. But we just recently hired a guy for two weeks um, to help us sprint on this product. So that was all money that we um, had made from the product. So. And it's how giving us more money to invest into the company? Yeah. And so how long did it take you to get to this point? Um, two months. <laughs> two months? Yeah. So you yeah, feel like after two, two after two months, if you're not kind of paying for costs uh, outside of salaries, you think that's a good time to throw in the towel? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think it depends on the startup. So you know, if you're if you're building something that no one wants and no one's paying for after two months, you either you know throw in the towel or you have a massive change to the product because uh, as long as you've exhausted most of you know your network and people you know and so forth like if you're just kind of floundering at that point and you know it's time to kind of take a drastic change mm -hmm. that's a, I mean that's a fairly if you're, if you're doing this for a living you know yeah <laughs> if yeah. you're doing it as a side project and like you know a lot of people launch small things and it takes two years to get any traction. I mean, with CarMate, it took us two years to really start doing significant revenue. But um, I think if you're, if you're doing this for a living and this is like your full-time job and it's not going well after, you know, we started in mid-January and it's now July. So yeah, I think we would have changed it drastically if we hadn't been to where we are now. Yeah, and I guess there's something like the the advice that seems to keep coming up on this show is that the the sooner you can get to that point where you're staring someone in the eyes and saying, uh, "Hey, do you want to pay for this?" Uh, the better. And the longer you put that out, the longer you just have a bunch of question marks. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I will never, and I haven't yet, launch a startup that doesn't make money from day one because. Otherwise, you're like you said, you're just pushing that, you're delaying that um, to the future, and then when that day comes, you are just, you have no idea, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you start charging from day one, then you have a sense of if no one's buying it, you got to change it. Yeah, yeah, that uh, I mean that, and what with a side project, um, I mean the same rules apply, obviously. How, do you think it's any different with a side project if you're building a little app on the side and you know you're you're trying to figure out your process how how would the process be different do you think I think like for side projects number one you gotta you know just be really passionate about it I think um, for most side projects you should be building something that you want to use yourself and as long as you're still continuing to enjoy using it and building it and you know you should go go forward with it and eventually maybe, two years down the line, it could turn into a real business. But 
um, yeah, I think it's completely different, um, you know, your standard side project than, you know, trying to build a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, you sharing uh, your story and now all this insights on, you know, the things you've learned building Uncover. Where, 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 can, uh, where can people find you on the web these days? Um, so either on Twitter, um, at find Spencer Fry, or just my website, spencerfry.com. Beautiful. And if you want to email me, um, you can just email me at gmail, spencer.fry at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. You can follow me, Justin, on Twitter as well, at MIJustin. And we even have a Twitter handle for the show, at ProductPeopleTV. Talking about Twitter, if you go on Twitter and thank our sponsor, at Sprintly, right now, I'd love you forever. And if you like the show, please give us a review in iTunes. It's as easy as clicking five stars. We'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.